You're now listening to episode 86 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Tom Costello here with Anton Ivanov, U.S. veteran, real estate investor, and entrepreneur with a portfolio of over 40 rental units spread across four different states that generates over $12,000 a month in passive income and requires less than one hour a week to manage. Anton is also founder of DealCheck, the leading real estate analysis platform for quickly analyzing rental properties, flips, and commercial buildings. In today's episode, we discuss how he built his portfolio and how he works with property managers to reduce the time he personally spends managing it. We also discuss deal check and how it helps real estate investors analyze properties. And if you stick around to the end, he'll provide a special promotional code that gives the listeners of the Real Estate CPA podcast a discount on the software. Anton, thanks so much for coming to the show today. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got started in real estate? Uh, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, very excited to be here and sharing my story with your listeners. Um, I actually got started in real estate under fairly unfortunate circumstances. Uh, back, you know, this was about, uh, oh gosh, so almost 10 years ago now, I was serving in the U.S. Navy and I was stationed in Japan. So it was active duty military. Uh, was kind of young in my early 20s, didn't have any you know, idea about real estate at the time. It wasn't even on my radar. I was just kind of getting into investing and personal finance in general, but not real estate specifically, didn't own any property. And right about that time, my parents actually passed away while I was out there in Japan. And they had a condo that they lived in in San Diego. And that actually became the first property I ever owned. So I didn't, you know, obviously buy it, didn't go through any of the process. Here I am, this this fairly young guy, you know, dealing with the you know, death of both parents pretty close together. And I have this property. Uh, it was in San Diego. So really far away from me at the time, I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, I almost sold it just, you know, because it seemed like the easier solution, but I talked to a few of my mentors, uh, just folks older than me. They said, Hey, why don't you not make any drastic decisions? You know, don't do anything crazy. Just try to find a local property manager that can do all the day-to-day stuff for you um, and then see where it goes. And then, you know, maybe you get out of the military or you move stateside and you can decide what to do with it. So that's actually how I got started in real estate. Uh, wouldn't really wish it on anybody, but, you know, sometimes you have to just deal with what life gives you and try to make the best use of it. Uh, and, and that's kind of how I became a landlord. And you know, the property itself being in the Southern California market, it wasn't cash flowing that great, just maybe a few hundred dollars a month, but it really did open up my eyes to what real estate can do for you in terms of passive income. especially when you outsource management, kind of take a more hands-off approach to managing that, that I like to do even nowadays and really just start trickling in that passive income without you really doing much. Guy, guy, no, it's, uh, sorry to hear about your parents. And, you know, it was, I guess, you know, your first four rates of real estate. And now we, we understand you've since you've acquired, you know, 40 units spread across four different states that generate over $1,200 per month in cash flow, but only takes you right. one hour to manage, which is very interesting. So, um, 
what allowed you to scale your portfolio? And that, it, you know, how did you get into scaling that portfolio? How did you begin sourcing your rental? Um, yeah, so it kind of came fairly naturally. Uh, you know, I, I had that one property that I had in San Diego. Then fast forward a few years, I moved back to the States, got out of the military, got a more traditional career, so to speak. And then I went through a, you know, a series of deal acquisitions. I started with buying a duplex uh, in San Diego that me and my wife house hacked. Uh, we moved into buying some turnkey properties, uh, some single families in Atlanta and Birmingham over the next two or three years after that. And then most recently, we started buying uh, four fourplexes in Kansas City where we built our you know, local team there, kind of went a more traditional approach, uh, looking for mainly off-market value-add deals. So the bulk of our acquisitions actually came in the last 18 months. But I think what we did before that really allowed us to, you know, to work up to that. So at the beginning, we're maybe buying one property a year, two properties a year, and then kind of three, four, and so forth. And I kind of was really comfortable with that, with that growth. You know, I, I didn't want to jump in and buy like a 15 or 20 plex or something right off the start. Uh, kind of doing some of those smaller deals at the beginning, doing some turnkey investing out of state, uh, helped me build our confidence. Uh, you know, just kind of get experience and then also start accumulating rentals that were generating cash flow that we were then saving, you know, 100% of the cash flow and then combined with our personal savings. It started snowballing. And, and as you guys probably know, you know, the more you keep going, the faster you can scale. So it's kind of like an exponential curve. It starts slow at the beginning, but then after a few years, you can start buying five, 10 units a year just from the cash flow and the, the uh, some of the cash out refinances we did on existing deals and then combined with our personal savings. So what are some like operational hurdles that you had to overcome to help you scale or allow for this level of scale? Cause I mean, you, you blew your portfolio up within a very right. short amount of time. So what, what are some of those operational hurdles that you maybe had to figure out to allow you to do that? So I'd say actually it's, it's a great question. And coming back to like what you said during the intro, my, our portfolio really does take only about an hour, a couple hours, you know, a month to manage if we're not buying any more units. And that all comes down to having very efficient management systems. So we own property in San Diego where we live, Atlanta, Birmingham, and then Kansas City. We use property managers for all of our property, even the ones, you know, right here by our house where we could self-manage, we just choose not to. So, so that's kind of number one is, is really taking the time to find a good management company that's very investor focused. We typically only look for referrals from other investors when picking property managers. So, you know, I don't just Google search or just blindly pick a company. I, I spend a lot of time vetting them, making sure I'm going with a good outlet. And then, you know, the next thing I like to do is what I call training the property manager uh, you know, most property managers that you meet, they'll have a system that they operate in, you know, that they know how to lease, they know how to do maintenance and all of that. It may be okay, but it may not necessarily align with exactly how you want things run. So what I like to do is when I'm working with a new property manager, I basically go over most of the processes and see how they like to do things, you know, and maybe tweak things a little bit to help them understand how I prefer to do things. You know, so when it comes to, for example, leasing, instead of just going with whatever leasing criteria for tenants that they have on the first few lease ups, I may be a little more hands on with helping them pick the tenants 
you know, nail down the criteria for a particular market. Then we agree on a set, you know, here's the exact tenant criteria they can use going forward. And I'm comfortable with letting them do it basically forever without my intervention. Same thing goes for maintenance, for make readies. You know, we would go through a few make readies, basically build a checklist for each property or kind of a group of properties if they're very similar. Say, hey, these are exactly the items I want done. Here's a pre-approved maintenance budget. We go over the materials that they're going to use. So I'm kind of more hands-on during the beginning phases of working with a new property manager. But by kind of going through this, it allows you to train them, so to speak, uh, do things the way you like to do. And then after a while, you don't have to be involved at all. But at the same time, you know that things are getting done right or the way you want to. And you can have that peace of mind and obviously, you know, don't use your personal time and and use it on something else. So when you are talking about training property managers, you're trying to get them to follow a process that you want them to follow. What happens if you are one of many clients that they have, though? Do you find that they are receptive to learning your process and adapting, or do you maybe you have to pay them more? Maybe you just do you work with smaller property managers. Like, how does that work? Or have you experienced any sort of pushback or hurdles uh, related to training your property managers? It's definitely a balancing act. And like you said, if you just have one property and they have 500 others, it may be harder for you to drastically, you know, alter the process. So, you know, there's several things I do. One is I don't necessarily introduce a whole new way of doing things, uh, you know, that they're not used to. I mainly just try to tweak things that they do already, you know, maybe introduce like additional criteria, additional guidelines, send them an easy to follow checklist, something that doesn't take a lot of their time to do, you know, so, so I try to make it easy for them as well, understanding that I may be just one client of many. You know, so that's kind of what I do if if I'm just one or two properties with a property manager uh, in Kansas City, where the bulk of our portfolio is concentrated. We have a lot more units with them. It's 32 units with a single property manager, so it's much easier to kind of have that sway or or that power, so to speak, because you're a bigger client. So you can institute a little more changes without them getting annoyed, so to speak, or without having to pay extra or, or any of that. So I think it's a balance. You know, if, if you're a new investor just starting out, you have one or, or just a handful of properties, I would say learn, you know, how they do things, maybe try to tweak a little here and there, follow up on it to keep them accountable. But I wouldn't like press too much. You know, once your portfolio starts growing, you have more units uh, concentrated in the given area, it's much easier to do, you know, to make larger changes. But the goal of this isn't necessarily to like drastically change the property management process. That's definitely not what I try to do is just, you know, if I see inefficiencies or, you know, I notice units are not getting leased quickly, or maybe we're getting poor quality tenants. Those are the good areas to kind of look at, you know, analyze why they're happening um, and tweak something like tenant screening guidelines or make ready repairs to address them going forward. Yeah. So, so that sort of sounds a little bit more like just setting really good and clear expectations. Correct. Yeah. 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 We're not going in and just saying, Hey, you know, run your business differently. (laughs) Exactly. Forget, forget how you've been doing it. It's more like, okay, look, I I know that you've been leasing properties in this area, but maybe in this particular subdivision, we need to 
make a few little tweaks, uh, mm-hmm. lower the rents or improve our screening just to improve tenant quality or something like that. So it's yeah. more like little changes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I kind of, uh, akin that to running this CPA firm, right at the real estate CPA here, you know, we, we are 14, 15 big now. And, uh-huh. uh, we have our processes now we we've iterated and changed and, and we have figured out basically with certain levels of investors, what they need from a tax and accounting perspective. And we tell them you're following our process or you're not going to be a client because we've gone through the iterations that said, we for sure have larger clients where we customize, we make, we adapt. And exactly. I, I was talking to, I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but it was somebody that was a potential client. I was talking to him and I was like, look, the way that you can kind of think about professional services in general, right? Not just our firm, but really any firm out there, um, any sort of property management company as well. And, and you've, you've alluded to this with this 32-unit deal. So I'm coming, I'm coming full circle and it's going to yeah. make sense. Imagine that we're flying an airplane, right? We've got coach or we'll call it economy plus to make it sound better. We've got economy plus, then we've got first class, business class, and then we've got you know one little jump seat that you, you can be in the cockpit if you want to. And, and at each level, you get a different set of services. You get a different set of customizations. Right. And uh, I always think it's important for folks just to remember that as they're going through, you know, and you, and you, again, you, you alluded to it yourself, you've got this 32 unit property, all of a sudden you've got a lot more pull and that, that makes a lot of sense. So if you've got a single family home and you're, you're telling the property manager what to do and, and, and change the processes, unless they're a small property manager, I'd imagine that there'd be a little bit of pushback there. Because I would, I can only imagine it from from our firm's perspective. But all of a sudden, if you've got a larger client, if you're a larger client, you've got a lot more pull there. And you know, it's not it's not necessarily a hey, you're doing everything wrong. But exactly like you said, let's set some really clear expectations here, just that I know what to expect of you, and you know what to expect of me, and that we're all on the same page. And when you have more pull, you get a little bit more attention, uh, which is always nice. That, that's good to go through. That's good to hear. No, I I totally agree with you. And one thing I'll add to that is. I think on the on the contrast, you know, I've spoken with a lot of other investors who are small time, maybe just a few properties, and they keep telling me how unhappy they are with their property managers. And the first thing I ask them is like, well, have you tried to talk to them? You know, they, they say, well, I, you know, they take forever to lease up my units. And, and I go back and say, well, have you, have you looked at what criteria they're using? Have you looked at how they're advertising? So I guess the message I'd like to portray is that even a good property manager, they may slip from time to time. They may, you know, your property may fall through the cracks or the area that your property and may need some tweaking. And there's nothing wrong, even if you're a small client with, with asking questions, with trying to, uh, you know, maybe suggest certain things to them or, or ask certain things to change because a good property manager will at least look at what you're saying, say, Hey, this does make sense. Or maybe this doesn't make sense, but explain to you why. So, uh, you know, don't just sit there, I guess, and coach and, and, you know, you haven't got your water and hours on the plane. You know, there's nothing wrong with calling that flight attendant button and saying, Hey, you know, you must've missed me. So economy plus uh, economy, plus. economy plus <laughs> <laughs> you get a carry on now with economy plus, which is really all funny. right. <laughs> No, um, no, what, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And, and more, I guess more of what I'm hearing is you're approaching it as, hey, look, my property management is an integral part of my business. Even though I'm not doing it, I still need to understand the function. I need to understand the advertising. I need to understand the processes that they're running through. And either I can suggest some tweaks or I just need to go find another property manager that's going to more align with how I want that arm of my business to be run. And that makes total, total exactly. sense. Exactly. 
So talk to us about how you manage your portfolio in an hour a week. Well, so, you know, picking back on what we we're just talking about, I think having uh, efficient property managers that you're comfortable with, uh, that you know what they're doing, how they're doing things basically gives you the peace of mind not to micromanage them. And that's another thing that after the initial training, grooming process, whatever you want to call it, I'm a big believer in not micromanaging property manager. So I don't go in there and look at every you know lease that they're signing, every maintenance action that they're doing. I don't review any of that you know before it happens unless it's it's like a big item, which really saves you a lot of time. So actually, the time that I spent you know each month on more portfolio comes down to really two things. One is I usually have a catch up phone call with at least some of my bigger property managers, which you know may take like about 20, 30 minutes each week. We basically get on the phone, we just run down through, do they have any big issues that I should know about? Is there some trends that they're seeing, like, you know, more vacancies than usual? So a very high level phone call. And then second thing is reviewing the property management statements that I get from them, which, you know, doesn't take a lot of time, but basically gives you a monthly summary of where you can see what maintenance was performed, you know, how many units are vacant, that sort of thing. So as my portfolio kind of grew, I started managing more on an aggregate level, just looking at general trends, inefficiencies, that sort of thing. But I don't, you know, step in and manage the maintenance, the tenant screening process, the inspections, none of that stuff. And that really is what allows me to spend so little time on it because once the property managers are, you know, comfortable with how I like to do things and once I'm comfortable with them, there's not much I need to do on a daily basis, uh, just kind of monthly reporting, monthly statement reviews. And I do like to, you know, catch up on the phone with them at least once every few months or once every month, uh, just to see how things are going. This is all great information. A lot of great management principles. So just discuss here for everybody who's listening. I, I got to say too, before we move into the next question, that from my personal experience, hiring a good property manager is the number one way to not do anything on a property or not, or do very little. I mean, we've we've had an 82 in an apartment building that we're about to sell. Me and a group that I'm involved in, and there's literally is like almost nothing that we have to do. It's almost unbelievable. But yeah, it's it's it feels unreal sometimes. You know, that you have all these tenants and money just coming in, but you're not really doing much for it. Yeah. So moving on, and we also know you're the CEO and founder of DealCheck, a platform that helps real estate investors analyze properties. Um, that includes uh, single-family, multifamily fix and flips. Could you tell us a little about what the software is and how it helps investors? Sure. So DealCheck actually started from a small personal project that, that I built myself. I'm a software developer by trade. And I kind of put together a quick mobile app to analyze uh, just rentals at the time. And at first, I just showed it to a few colleagues, a few friends and fellow investors. They loved it. So it grew organically from there. And, you know, we really established ourselves in the last few years as one of the leading real estate analysis platforms in, in the U.S. And our software is designed from the ground up with just a single purpose to help you do all your due diligence, research, uh, and analysis in one place for basically any type of investment property. So you can log into you know DealCheck online at DealCheck.io, or you can download the DealCheck mobile app for iOS or Android. And you know I'm not exaggerating this. In probably less than 30 seconds, you can punch in just a few numbers about a property. Actually, you can type in an address, and it will import most of the data about the property for you. And then you can just customize things like financing and what price you're buying it at, and your closing costs. 
and we'll calculate the full analysis uh, projections, you know, all the return numbers for rentals, flips, multifamily, commercial deals, wholesales, BRRRs. So it's, it's kind of an all-around property analysis solution that we hope is, you know, the only tool you'll ever need to analyze uh, any property, which is obviously a crucial step in the real estate investing life cycle. And then we've built a few other cool tools around the core analysis feature. Like I mentioned, you can import property data from public records to help you save time and not have to punch in everything manually. You can look up rental and sales comps right inside our software to help you estimate the ARVs or the uh, what the rent should be for each property. You can export reports. So if you have lenders or clients or partners that you're working on the deal, you can one-click export a PDF that will have a full analysis of the deal, all the projections, everything you can send around. And there's an offer calculator built in that will help you kind of punch in some criteria, maybe your minimums, your maximums for various metrics. And our software will show you what price you can offer on the property to make your criteria meet. So um, it's kind of an all-around property analysis tool. Again, we're really focused on just that piece of the real estate investing uh, pipeline where you know it's not a CRM, it's not really an accounting software, but uh, we try to be the best at specifically property analysis. So there's a lot of analysis spreadsheets out there, you know, plenty of them online. How does this differ? How does DealCheck go above and beyond what the spreadsheets can provide? Sure. So there's, uh, you know, several things that we've done over the years that we think really positioned us above others. The first one is how many customization options our tool offers. So a lot of tools that I've seen, uh, they're kind of limited. You know, there's a few numbers you can punch in, but it's kind of just takes you to analyzing a basic deal. If you have creative financing strategies or different, you know, non-mainstream scenarios, those tools usually don't have the flexibility to analyze them. And we really build deal check to support virtually unlimited customization for each deal because we know there's so many different ways you can buy or sell real estate. So there's a ton of customization option. Uh, the other tool that our users absolutely love is, like I mentioned, the sales and rental comps. Uh, you can look them up right into our in our software. That's one of the keys. You know, if you're flipping, you need to know the ARV of the property. If you're renting, you need to know what the rent is going to be because that's one of the most crucial metrics that will affect your cash flow. The Probably the third thing is the kind of the productivity side of it and how quickly it is to use our software. So you can use it online. You can use it on mobile. All your data instantly syncs. You can be driving around, you know, doing an open house or something like that, looking at properties. You can start analyzing it right on your phone. Come back later to your computer. It'll be right there. You can dive into more in-depth analysis projections. And then, like I said, you can run the numbers in 30 seconds or less. You know, some investors say it's it's like magic because how quickly it lets them do that. Got it. Got it. Sounds like an awesome piece of software. We're going to have a link to it in the show notes below for everybody who's listening. On the tax strategy side, things we know, everybody who's listening to this podcast understands yep. that there's a lot of tax advantages to real estate. Uh, what are the top two or three tax strategies that you're currently using to minimize your tax bills? So I'm going to preface this by saying I'm by no means an expert uh, in this compared to you guys, especially. Um, but I'll, I'll say some things that I found out over the years that maybe were not so obvious when I was first starting out. The first one is uh, kind of classifying your expenses as you know repair and maintenance versus depreciable capital expenditures. 
So when I first started with investing, I think everything, you know, that, that I had as an expense on a rental property, even like, you know, fairly significant renovations or appliance purchases or, or other CapEx items, I would just classify as repair and maintenance. Uh, just for not knowing better. And, you know, they would decrease my tax burden for that year uh, because there would be deductible expenses, but that was it. You know, with depreciation, you can actually spread that deduction over a few years. So instead of having, you know, a big deduction in year one, it's kind of spread out over five or seven or, or longer years, which allows you to kind of decrease your tax burden over time. And I believe that is the proper way to account for it anyway. So things like appliance purchases, remodels, um, you know, significant renovations, I, you know, classify as depreciable capital expenditures. The, probably the second one that I just goofed up when I was first starting out, I wasn't even sure if I could deduct all of the expenses for a, uh, you know, rental property operation. I thought there were some limitations and um, I think I missed some just expenses because I, I really didn't deduct them, with, you know, including stuff like travel, stuff like car expenses if I'm driving around and, you know, for the purpose of real estate investing, flying to my properties. So kind of not, you know, expenses that you're incurring while you're investing, while you're looking for properties can all be deducted from your income that you receive from the rental properties as far as I'm aware. So I've really kind of tied down, uh, record, make, make record notes of, of all my travel or my other expenses that are not necessarily coming from the operation of the, you know, rental properties like taxes or insurance that are pretty obvious. Um, and obviously use those to decrease my tax burden as well. So this 32 unit deal that you have, did you explore a cost segregation study on it at all? So the 32 units are actually spread out over several properties. That was one deal. No, no, no. It's, it's actually a bunch of fourplexes. So no, we did not do a cost segregation, but I did look into it. I kind of, you know, at least evaluated what the cost would be versus the benefit. I didn't think it would, it would benefit me too much, but I know that's, that's one strategy is perhaps me and my wife get into bigger commercial projects that could really be valuable. So for the smaller properties, you know, we don't necessarily want to promote this, quote unquote, but there, is, there are tools out there that the cost seg, that some big cost seg companies have been developing and pushing out to allow you to cost seg smaller properties. One mm-hmm. of those is the KBKG cost segregator tool. We had KBKG on one of our podcast episodes. It was like a couple months ago, I think, so maybe in the 70s range. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's called the KBKG Cost Segregator. And what they do is they just aggregate all of their data from all the cost seg studies that they performed in the past. Um, they provide a statistical analysis. And basically, within certain standard deviations, they say this is 95% accurate as long as you have less than four units. I think it's four units, 500K purchase price, mm-hmm. something along those lines. So that's always something that you could explore. Uh, the caveat, of course, is that they, they're not battle-tested yet. So they haven't, uh, at least to my knowledge, gone through any sort of audits. And, uh, right. and that'll be the real test of time. But that is an option. So even, even for the small properties, you could theoretically go do one of these desktop cost-seg studies, get them done. Um, I would always recommend buying the audit support that these companies offer so that if you do get audited, you have somebody to come in and defend you or run the full report but uh that's certainly something especially on the four unit properties we we, you you get a little more flexibility the more units under one roof the more flexibility you're going to get at the end of the day as it pertains to uh writing things off i definitely got to check it out and for everybody who's listening that's episode 76 
of our podcast, you can find the episode of KBKG. Outside of deal check, what's some other software or tech that you're using in your business that you couldn't live without? Uh, probably, well, I'll mention two. Uh, the first one is kind of cliche. It's Evernote. It's a note-taking app. Uh, absolutely essential, I think, for, for anybody running a business or having real estate, just keeping your thoughts organized, checklists, to-do lists. I, I mainly use it actually for to-do lists and checklists. It's really easy to set up and take with you again in your phone or, or computer. And then obviously, I'm a big fan of uh, QuickBooks Online uh, and their accounting software for, uh, you know, that's what I use for my business, for my real estate. Um, it's kind of hands down the the de facto leader, I think, in, in the accounting and bookkeeping space. So would definitely recommend that once your operation grows or if you have a business or a significant real estate portfolio. Absolutely. Love QuickBooks Online. Love Evernote too. Um, big, big, big in my books for sure. When it comes to our listeners learning more about DealCheck, learning more about you, what's some of the ways they could do so? Um, absolutely. So DealCheck is very easy to learn about. Uh, you can just go to dealcheck.io learn more about our software, uh, try it. It's by the way, it's, it's completely free to use. We have a free tier, no credit card required to sign in. And then there's a few upgrade options if you want the full features and, and kind of no limits on the software, but the free tier is perfect for smaller investors or those just starting out. And then you can also download the deal check mobile app, just search for deal check on the iOS or Android app stores. And then if you do guys want to upgrade to one of the paid plans, I have a special promo code just for the Real Estate CPA podcast listeners. Um, it's Real Estate CPA. Uh, so just like the name of the podcast, if you type that in, when you upgrade, uh, there's a little box for the promo code. You'll get a 25% off your subscription for life. So for the whole duration that you're subscribed. So again, that's just Real Estate CPA one word, no spaces, get your 25% discount. And then if you want to reach me personally, uh, I always give my personal email is just Anton at dealcheck.io. That's A-N-T-O-N at dealcheck.io. If you have any questions about my personal portfolio or deal check specifically, would love to hear from you. Uh, don't hesitate to send me a quick email. Anton, thanks for coming to the show today. I might actually have to go and use that discount code myself. So, um, uh, you know, we'll definitely link that up to the show notes um, and the show notes for everybody who's listening. And uh, we'll be releasing this soon. And uh, it's been great having you on. I think you, you dropped a lot of great knowledge here for people out there who are, who are managing properties or, or looking to build a portfolio for sure. Thank you, guys. Um, thanks for inviting me again. Hey everyone, I want to let you know that we'll be hosting the first ever tax and legal virtual summit specifically for real estate investors coming up Saturday, February 29th and Sunday, March 1st. At this event, you'll learn about lucrative tax and asset protection strategies from the top legal and tax experts in the industry. Topics include the real estate professional status, cost segregation studies, 1031 exchanges, self-directed retirement accounts, entity structuring, estate planning, and so much more. Don't miss this incredible event designed to save you thousands in taxes and help protect the assets and wealth you work so hard to build. Head over to www.taxandlegalsummit.com and use promo code RECPA for 50% off your tickets. Again, that's www.taxandlegalsummit.com and use promo code RECPA for 50% off your tickets. See you there. Welcome back, everybody. We're here for the debrief section of today's podcast with Anton uh, regarding how he builds his portfolio and only and only how it only takes him one hour to to manage that portfolio a month and uh, deal check. 
Yeah, it was a really interesting episode. I really liked what he had to say about processes, specifically when we were talking about the property management stuff. I love the idea of, and, and it doesn't have to be property managers. I know that that's a big extension of, of any sort of real estate investor's business, but I mean, sit down with your CPAs, with your attorneys, with financial managers, with lenders, anybody that's part of your sphere when you're, when you're running a portfolio, when you're closing deals, uh, you really need to be able to sit down and set expectations and get a lot of clarity. Right. And in my experience, you know, we've, we've created bad client relationships in the past. So we don't like bragging about that, obviously. But in my experience, those all come from not most of those, the vast majority of them, have come from not setting clear expectations. There, there's always some sort of breakdown in the communication. So definitely like we, of course, as CPAs and, and as the technical people, we do try to set those expectations. But um, I really like the Anton's approach of really digging in and can you show me your processes. I just want to understand your business more so that I can understand the expectations that I'm supposed to have of you. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. You know, there's this book that I had read recently called the one minute manager where it kind of goes through everything we just discussed. There's three principles in this book. The first one's one minute goals and that's setting clear expectations for what success looks like. There's one minute praisings, which is kind of reaffirming when you see that those expectations are being met and then there's one minute redirects, and that's when you see expectations not being met, you have to redirect the expectation back to the original goal. And I feel like that's kind of what Anton and, and you were speaking about uh, before is, is kind of all those things, making sure the property manager understands what you're trying to achieve and then redirecting them if you see them doing things that are maybe not terrible or, in, in a word, suboptimal. And um, some really just good management knowledge being dropped there. So that's kind of what I saw and it's very helpful and for someone who's trying to build a portfolio. So, and, and I, I think about that too, just kind of going back to that expectation piece and, and just setting clear expectations. When I really sit down and think about different issues that I'm experiencing, whether it be running this business or whether it be with my own real estate, you know, when you really peel back the layers to find the root cause problem, it is typically poor expectations were set. I am a firm believer that people are not just bad people, right? Like people are good. People are good people. But what happens is they have one set of expectations and you have another set of expectations. And you can boil this down to personal relationships too with your spouse. You can boil it down to relationships with your children, with your parents, siblings, it's really amazing like when you really think about it, if everybody just very clearly and explicitly stated what their expectations were, think about how much better the world would be. <laughs> and definitely business relationships, but what about the rest of the world, man? So what I took away from Anton's approach is that he's trying to get to that level of clarity, some, at least some level of clarity so that there aren't surprises, so that one party doesn't end up super mad at, some, at a later point when something goes wrong or something doesn't meet these expectations that weren't actually communicated up front. Absolutely, 100%. I'm going to try to articulate this, what I'm about to say, in the most clear way possible. So one of the things I've always heard is human beings are teleological creatures, meaning you have to hit targets. They want to see a target in your mind. And one of the things that made human beings the most successful species on the planet is the ability to hold one vision in multiple people's minds and work towards that vision. Right. So if you're able to set that vision, set those expectations definitively in the person's mind, you can work to achieve those goals. So it all becomes it all really does come down to setting out a clear expectation at the end of the day. And if you're able to do that, you can work towards that and work jointly towards that. I think that's 
a great management principle, something that I've learned very recently that's uh, been fantastic. So that's just my two cents on that end of it. So I think, and I think also to tie that into what Anton's doing with DealCheck, he's a very definitive goal for what DealCheck is. DealCheck is one thing. DealCheck is help you analyze properties, not doing anything else, nothing else but that one goal, which is to help you analyze properties. Yep, getting transparency into the numbers there. That, that's what he's trying to do. And kind of like with your with your vision, right? It's just the whole thinketh you becometh type of uh, mentality, right? I think uh, Think and Grow Rich, that, that's a book that dies into details there, which is a great book if, for anybody that's that's running a business or, or building a portfolio. It's a great book to uh, put on your bookshelf for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So we do have... A question today from our listeners. It's on one of our favorite subjects, the real estate professional status. And uh, the question is, if one qualifies as a real estate professional by the virtue of direct participation in direct owned properties, can other passive losses from investments in an LP, such as a syndication, also be used to offset their spouse's ordinary income? Or are the losses on the rental properties only allowed to be? Yeah, that's a good question. So when you are a real estate professional, first, real estate professional is is only based on hours. It's only based on hours. And we've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, but it still amazes me how many, even our clients will ask like, well, if I earn a million dollars doing X, is that like, they'll always like make these big, big examples, right? So, well, if I earn a million dollars, how does that change? It's like, it doesn't change it at all. It's all about the hours at the end of the day. So 750 hours and greater than half your time in a real property trader business. That's how you qualify as a real estate professional. Then you have to demonstrate material participation in the rental real estate activity. We talked a couple episodes ago about real estate brokers. You know, they're notorious for qualifying as a real estate professional, but not demonstrating material participation in their rental real estate activities. So remember, there's two thresholds there. Now, when you're a deal sponsor and you qualify per the hour requirements, you qualify as a real estate professional, you have to be on the GP side. You can't be on the LP side. Your LP hours are not going to count. And LP means limited partner. GP means general partner. But if you're a general partner and you are able to meet those hour requirements, you are able to demonstrate material participation, then you can make an aggregation election to aggregate all of your real estate all of your rental real estate interests into one activity. So you can theoretically pull in all of your LP investments into your one rental activity. And you would just have one big rental activity at that point. It's it's called an aggregation election. So, so most of our clients that are kind of doing something like this, they'll actually build their own real estate portfolio out. They'll qualify as a real estate professional, demonstrate material participation on that real estate portfolio itself. And then they can make an aggregation election to basically group in those limited partnership investments. And there's some nuances there, of course, um, some technical things to be aware of. So if you're thinking of doing this, just don't go out and do it on your own. I have a lot. I, I speak to a lot of people all the time who just, who, even though we have this podcast, we have this resource, they listen to it, uh, they still get it wrong. So be sure that if you're going to uh, plan to do something like this, go ahead and speak to your tax advisor and make sure you are doing everything properly. Because at the end of the day, this isn't something you want to get caught holding the bag on. If you do it wrong, the IRS could audit you and let's just say you do get audited and they do say, hey, look, they do disqualify your status as a real estate professional. Now you're facing back taxes, penalties, and interest potentially, and uh, it could be quite painful. So uh, yeah. whenever making a large tax position, doing something like this, don't go it alone. Uh, go speak to a tax advisor, make sure you're doing it the right way. 
make sure your tax advisor has like done this thing before. You, you have to ask really good questions. Make sure that they understand that there are two hurdles. There's the real estate professional status and material participation. And if you're ever going to do an aggregation election, please, please, please make sure that you talk with your tax advisor about what happens on the back end when I start liquidating properties, because you just have to plan for it. You might be surprised on the back end when you make these aggregation elections, what happens. And especially if you're coming into that tax year, the tax year where you qualify as a real estate professional and you have that make that aggregation election, if you're bringing suspended losses, like you're carrying those forward into that tax year, you just have to be really careful about uh, basically permanently locking those suspended losses up. So make sure that you get really solid clarity on, do I qualify as a real estate professional? Do I materially participate in my rental activity? Uh, can I make this aggregation election? And before I do, do I need to do anything with my suspended losses if I have any carry that are being carried forward here? And make sure you, you step through that with your advisor and you should be okay. 100%. 100%. So remember, everybody, if you're listening here, you want us to answer your question, go to www.therealestatecpa.com slash podcast. We may just answer it here on the show. And until next time, sign out. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.